Welcome to the Sword of the Spirit podcast with Brother Joe Rusiello. Take your Bible, sit back, and join us as we open and study the Word of God. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Now, here's your host. All right. Hey, folks, this is Joe Rusiello, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the Sword of the Spirit podcast. Uh, why don't you visit our website at www.swordofthespiritpodcast.com. That's swordofthespiritpodcast.com. And when you get to the website, uh, don't forget, we have that Contact Us section on the uh, last page of the website. Uh, just shoot us an email. Let us know what you're thinking, what's on your mind, uh, how you're doing. If you have any prayer requests, we would love to hear them. And uh, so we could pray for you and pray for whatever needs that you might have. Um, if you uh, don't want to use the contact form, you could feel free to email me at info at sword of the spirit podcast dot com. That would be info at sword of the spirit podcast dot com. And hey, while you're at the website, uh, there's a little button on there that says support this podcast. Um, if you could, we would really appreciate anything that you could give any kind of a donation. You know, we really would like to keep the lights on around here and, uh, be able to keep paying for, uh, all the things that we have to cover to keep the podcast going, all the subscription services that we're part of and we're getting into. So, um, if you'd like to, uh, help and contribute to this, to this endeavor, uh, just click that little support button on the website at sort of the spirit podcast.com and you could do it 99 cents 499 and 999 i think those are the thresholds that we had set up um and uh we would really 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 appreciate that so i hope you guys had a great week uh, since the last time we spoke which was last monday and uh you know a lot of things have gone on during the course of the week you know got a chance to meet a few people and and give the gospel out i, I actually started a second job uh, second secular job and uh, so I'm excited about that and um, so things are moving forward and and another thing that I'm really excited about um, so about two months ago all right uh, let me back it up so I had a Bible that I got uh, back in uh, 2003 it was a Cambridge uh, wide margin Bible loved this Bible and uh, it was probably probably the first uh, no, actually the second King James Bible that I ever owned. And uh, I love this thing and I carried it with me wherever I went. And of course, you know, over the years, um, it just broke down and the spine broke and, you know, pages started coming out. It started falling apart. And and um, finally, uh, about two months ago, maybe a little bit more than two months ago, uh, I sent it out to a uh, to a bookbinder uh, to get a new, uh, new cover put on there you know, to, to kind of, uh, you know, breathe some some life back into this this old book and i am really excited because i got it back on uh friday and i gotta tell you i am really so pleased with this 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 looks beautiful it really does uh we got a good nice new leather binding uh had my name put on the front of it which was nice um beautiful work and uh i used norris book binding uh they're based out of um out of uh, Greenwood, Mississippi, and they they did a fantastic job. Uh, well worth the cost. Well worth it. And uh, so, if you have any books or anything that you need to get uh, to get rebound, 
but no matter what kind of book it is, they specialize in Bibles, but you know, no matter what kind of book it is, um, you know, you should check them out at uh, NorrisBookbinding.com, I believe is the website. And um, if not, you could just look it up online, Norris Bookbinding. Um, this isn't a paid advertisement for them. I'm just really, really thrilled with the quality of work that we got done on this Bible, and I'm, I'm so happy to be using it again. I haven't used it in so many years. Um, I mean, I've had other Bibles since then. I, I have another Cambridge Bible that I love. It's a great Bible. It's a nice, big, uh, wide-margin Bible, and I've uh, been using that since 2017 when I retired the one that I'm holding in my hand here. Uh, but I'm really happy to have it back, and I, I used it today, I'm sorry, yesterday at church, and uh, really very happy uh, with this and really excited to have it back. So check them out, norrisbookbinding.com, if you have a book that you need to get rebound, especially an old Bible. And one of the things that I really did appreciate, too, is they, they sent a few things back with it. Um, a bookmark, which I don't have in front of me. It's in my other Bible. Um, but they sent this little, uh, this little sheet here that I have, and I'd like to read it to you, if you don't mind. Uh, it's called The Bible, God's Holy Book, and it's an author unknown. Uh, but this is just wonderful, and it says this. This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Christ is the subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is given to you in life, will be open in the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and condemns all who trifle with its holy precepts. And I, I love that. I, I really do. And that's something I'm going to keep with my Bible. And I'm probably going to print out another copy of it so I can keep it in the uh, in my preaching Bible, the one I use at the pulpit and when I'm teaching classes. But um, this is really wonderful, and I'm going to save that. That's great. So that's from Norris Bookbinding, and the author of that is Unknown. Uh, just great stuff, great stuff, and I'm really thankful to them for the work that they did. It was well, well worth it. Um, so uh, let's get back to this. Uh, again, Norris Bookbinding, great work, great work. Um, let's see. So uh, this past weekend, um, I think I mentioned it about uh, last week or the week before, that one of my students in my Sunday school group uh, was getting married, and uh, so uh, Angel was my student. She married a young man named Alex and uh, had the privilege of going to the wedding on um, on uh, Saturday evening. And I have to tell you that um, their mom and uh, Angel's mom and Angel's dad, they did a fantastic job in uh, throwing this wedding. They did it at their home. It was beautifully decorated. The food was amazing. Um, the wedding ceremony itself was um, officiated by the pastor from our church. And uh, it was a beautiful ceremony, and everything was just great. They did a fantastic job. So, uh, uh, so we're going we're to continue to pray for Angel and for Alex as they uh, as they begin their life together as a as a as a beautiful young married couple. 
and uh, uh, Ruby and George, uh, her parents, again, what a fantastic job they did. And uh, speaking of prayers, um, if anybody has any prayer requests, please uh, feel free to email them uh, to info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com or fill out that uh, contact form on our website, swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Uh, it's on the last page. But uh, I mentioned to you previously that I had a friend uh, uh, back home. His name is David. He's a childhood friend. And uh, again, I've, I've shared the gospel with him many, many times. And um, he, hasn't, uh, he hasn't come around yet. But I, 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 I do believe in prayer. And I do believe that God will work it out uh, for his good and for, his, for David's good and, and, and God's glory. And uh, I'm confident of that. So I'd like to keep David in prayer. Um, I also mentioned uh, a sister at our church named Bernice, uh, who has cancer, and uh, she's going through her, her cancer treatments, and uh, she's doing remarkably well, and we're thankful for that, and uh, we got to sit with, uh, my wife and I got to sit with Adam and uh, Bernice at the wedding, and uh, just just really great to see such a positive outlook on Bernice, and and um, good to hear the good reports from her. So I'd like to keep her in prayer as well. She continues on for her treatments. Um, we also want to pray for, uh, continue to pray for my mom, my sister, my granddaughter. Um, and again, of course, um, Alex and Angel uh, for their life together. So Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for all that you do for us. And Lord, we lift up these, these folks to you in prayer. And we're thankful that you give us that opportunity to do so. And Father God, we just want to say... Um, that we're so thankful for the gift of salvation that you've given us through your precious son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father God, we ask that you would just uh, hear our prayers for David, for his salvation, uh, for Bernice and for Adam, for uh, Bernice's cancer treatments, uh, for my mom, uh, for her health and, and her salvation, for my sister and uh, for the care that she gives to our mom and uh, for her salvation as well, and for my little granddaughter also for her salvation uh, as she grows. And again, for uh, Alex and Angel as they start their life together as, as, a, as a married couple. So, uh, Lord, God, we want to say thank you for the, all of them and for the opportunities to pray for them. And, Lord, we just commit them to you and we ask you to bless this uh, today in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So uh, uh, check out our website again, swordofthespiritpodcast.com, swordofthespiritpodcast.com. And when we come back from this uh, very quick little break, we're going to get into our study. So while we're gone, why don't you grab your Bible, open it up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That's what we're up to. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or grab yourself a bottle of water or something to eat. And we're going to sit back and get into the Bible study as soon as we come back from this brief song.
Hey folks, welcome back, and uh, we're going to get right into the study here. Um, we're studying First uh, Thessalonians, and we're over to First Thessalonians chapter 4, so if you have your Bible with you, why don't you turn, turn over there if you haven't done so already. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're continuing our study here. Uh, now, of course, this is the Apostle Paul, and uh, he's made a journey to Thessalonica, which is a city in what's now known as Greece. Um, uh, it's, I've never been there, but apparently it's a, it's a beautiful area around the Aegean Sea. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll begin in verse 1. Uh, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandment we gave you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Now, in, in that day and age in Greece, there was a real problem with sexual promiscuity and sexual rituals and, and some of the religions that were in place over there. So Paul is, is, is just hitting this head on. He's just addressing this directly. And, you know, he's not pulling any punches about it either. He says, look, you shouldn't behave, be behaving this way. And, and this is why. The Lord expects this from you. Okay? Uh, that's the reason why he's bringing it up. I mean, right away. It just gets right into it. Verse 4. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. That's his body, of course. That's what we're talking about. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all, of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. Okay, so Paul is, uh, Paul is addressing their behavior. Okay, these are young Christians, and he says, this is how you need to act according to the Lord. Um, now, uh, as new believers in Jesus Christ, you know, there is a standard that you'll be held to. The Lord expects a certain kind of behavior, and, and he's going to spell it out for them here. All right, and this, is what he, and this is what he's doing in this chapter. Now, a Christian's behavior is compared to a walk, and I, I think so for several reasons. Well, first of all, it demands life, for a dead sinner can't walk, right? A dead sinner can't walk, at least not walk in the way that the Lord expects them to. Isn't that right? Um, it needs the Holy Spirit to give them that walk. That life that's required for that walk, it, it requires growth, all right? It's not a stagnant thing. Uh, now, I've heard people say, you know, you're either moving forward or you're moving backward, but you're never standing still. And I think that goes for a lot of things in life. You need to push forward. You need to learn more. And you need to learn more about what the Lord has for you and what he expects from us as believers. Uh, and that's the reason why we have Bible study. Uh, that's why, that's why you, know, you should be going to a, a, a church that teaches the Bible. You know, that's why I go to a church that teaches the Bible. Because that's where you're going to learn how to move forward in the Christian life. You're, you're not going to go to a church where they have a book review or, uh, you know, the book of the week or whatever it is and expect to move forward in your Christian life, 
right? That's just not going to happen. In fact, what would happen or will happen is that you're going to end up sliding backwards. You'll end up sliding backwards. So it requires growth and it requires liberty. It requires liberty also. Um, as Christians, we have liberty uh, uh, for, you know, because someone who's bound can't walk, right? Now, now, this is something that most religions don't offer. They don't offer liberty. They offer bondage in one way or another. Uh, you know, they expect you to live a certain, they, they expect you to live a certain way or live up to a certain standard, you know, obey certain rules. Uh, you know, they expect you to get baptized in their church where you can't be saved, right? I mean, we've all heard that. Um, uh, whatever it is, there's a bondage that's attached to most religions. But true Christianity, true Christianity is liberty. God promises that in his word. Okay? So it uh, it demands light. It demands light. Because who wants to walk in the dark, right? <laughs> it demands light. Well, unfortunately, though, most people do. If they're not saved, they're stumbling around trying to find their way. Isn't that right? I think so. Um, you know, I've talked to people at various times, you know, throughout the day. And uh, at some, you know, sometimes you get a little light and sometimes you get a whole lot of confusion and you just kind of shake your head and you know, look, light's available, light's there and light is in the word of God. Light is in this book that I have sitting right in front of me. It demands light and I don't want to walk in the dark. <laughs> you know, I walk in the dark, I'll run into something, you know, um, it, it can't be hidden, but it's wit, wit but it's witnessed by all. Now, the Lord says this. He says, don't hide your light under a bushel, right? Let it shine. And there's a song about that. You know, hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Remember that one? I'm not going to sing because I'll scare you all away. Um, uh, I've never really grasped the full meaning of the song until I started to mature in my walk. All right, but that's what it is. That's what it is. You have a light and it shouldn't be hidden. In fact, the most precious gift that you can give somebody, you know, when you get right down to it, um, uh, you know, it, it is giving, is sharing your light, is giving your light, not hiding your light. So if somebody's not saved and going to hell and you can offer something that will prevent them, prevent that from happening, that's the most precious thing you can do for that person. Amen? Amen. So don't hide it. Don't hide it. Okay? So it, it, it suggests... It suggests progress toward a goal. Paul describes the kind of walk a believer should have uh, as they progressed toward that goal. And Paul describes that goal. So in verses 1 through 8, Paul talks about walking in holiness. Walking in holiness. Now right away, like we said before, he's talking about the sexual immorality of that day and age. And we know that, mora that immorality is, is basically selfishness. And, and this is the point that he was trying to get across to these folks. Paul exhorts them to live to please God and not themselves. And that's quite a turnaround. You know, if, if people are narcissistic in their viewpoint and they look in the mirror and they say, you know, I'm going to do something for you today, you know, well, that's not the way God wants us to look at things. It's what can you do for somebody else today? What can I do for somebody else? What truth can I get out to someone else today? Now, Paul has set the example for them. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4. Well, you know, let's start in verse 1. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even, even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, 
As you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of, unclean, or, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. So when, when Paul and his companions showed up, they gave a good example to the Thessalonians. So he commanded them from the word to live in holiness and purity by the power of God. So God's will for their lives was that they be sanctified. And sanctified means to be set apart. All right. You know, you can rent uh, the Jefferson Hotel in Washington, D.C., but you can't rent the White House. Right. Right. Uh, well, we'll leave political comments aside. Um, but because the White House hasn't been set apart for a purpose. All right. The, because the White House has, has been set apart for a purpose. It's sanctified. Right. I mean, and that's just an analogy. All right. The believer has been set apart for God. He's a saint and a set apart one. That's us. We've been set apart for a purpose. That's what Paul's trying to get across to these folks. You know, we have a daily responsibility to devote ourselves more to God so that all of us, body, soul, and spirit, is completely turned over to him. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. And this is a great reference to the Trinity that makes, that makes up each person. All right. Uh, verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, nothing, nothing defiles the body more than sexual sin. And this was the point that Paul was trying to get across to these folks, folks at Thessalonica. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 13. Meats for the belly and belly for the meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body, and God hath raised has God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise us up by His own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Okay, so here Paul is writing to the Corinthians, but at this, but it's the same basic message that he's sending to the Thessalonians. This is something that you shouldn't be doing, and there are some really good reasons for it. That's what Paul's saying. Now, even though they were used to that kind of behavior, he's there right in their face, and he's telling them, look, this is the way it should be. Let's also look over at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and let's look at verse 1. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1. 
Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So fornication refers to sexual sin, regardless of marital status. It's the physical act, as opposed to adultery, which can be physical or mental. In fact, in fact, you know, Jesus kind of laid that out for us. You just take your Bible and turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Okay, and this is the standard right here. This is the standard. Uh, when we say that, when we say all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, that sounds kind of harsh, but, but then you kind of realize that there's a standard that the Lord set. Uh, that's, that, that, that's really impossible for us to live up to, which is why we need his grace to save us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Well, uh uh-oh. All right, well, that's not good, is it? The same holds true of somebody that hates his neighbor. He's guilty of what? Well, the Bible says he's guilty of murder, right? So you can't go around and you can't say, you know, I've I've kept the Ten Commandments. You know, because you can't keep your life, you can't keep your thought life that pure. It just doesn't happen. Everybody, including me, everybody has thoughts that they wish they didn't have. But they do. And they end up being sinful. So what kind of walk should a believer have? Well, they should walk in love. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and let's look at verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. Now, Paul was very pleased with their progress in this area. Okay, now he says this in verse nine, but as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. So he he taught them. uh, So he taught them about that. And he also taught them that love comes through the Holy Spirit. So now take your Bibles and turn over to Romans chapter five. This is a Bible study. This is what we do. Take your Bibles and go over to Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five. And we're going to look at verse 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So when you're saved, when you become a blood-bought, born-again, believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is imparted to you, and love is brought along with that. That's what the verse says. Paul is stressing that love is the birthmark of the believer. And the reason, and the reason for that is, is that as the Holy Spirit enters into you, uh, that's what he brings with him. Take your Bible and turn over to 1 John. Not the Gospel of John, 1 John. Okay, 1 John chapter 3. So this book here is addressed to believers. All right, and it says in verse 14. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14. It says, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Loving your brethren, loving your fellow Christian is something that should come natural to you. Now, you may not like the person, okay? You may not like the person, and that's natural. I mean, there are are always going to be things that you may not like about somebody. But you see, loving them, loving them is different. You care for them. You have a general concern for them. You know, uh, you do what you can. You lift them up in prayer. You know, and that's a different thing altogether. 
That's not something that comes natural to an unbeliever, especially for a stranger. You know, you walk into a church and, and there are a lot of people there that you may not know, but at the same time, you know, the Holy Spirit is, is going to impart to you some love that you can show toward these people that are part of the body of Christ. That's just what the Bible says about it. Turn over to, to uh, chapter 4 of First John. First, cha First John chapter 4 and verse 9. First John chapter four, verse nine in this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. So John is just making a point that love for the brethren is something that should be present in your life as a believer. Let's look over at 1 Peter. 1 Peter. Let's get Peter's view on this. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. So again, you, you don't have to hold back. Okay, We can love each other. We could pray for each other, show compassion. We, we can do things for each other. You know, We all have different gifts. We all have different functions in the body of Christ. And part of loving the body is sharing those gifts. Doing things... That, that, that people can't do for themselves. So we must love all the brethren. Uh, you know, another walk the believer should have is to walk in honesty. To walk in honesty. Turn back to First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4, and let's look at verse number 11. Verse 11. And that ye study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you that you may walk honestly toward them that are without, that you may have lack of nothing. You know, I think, I think that one of the earmarks of a mature Christian is the ability not to get too involved in other people's business. Amen? You know, you know it's one thing to pray for people. You know, it's one thing to show genuine concern. But, but, but meddling in somebody else's business, you know, getting into somebody else's affairs, so to speak, it, it's not the mark, the mark of a mature Christian. A mature Christian will take what that person wants to share and pray for them. You know, uh, they'll offer they'll offer help. But something the Lord exhort, exhorts us not to do is get too deeply involved in other people's business. Mind your own business, okay? Do your own work and do it honestly. You know, and, and people will notice that. Unbelievers will notice that. You know, they'll notice if you do your own work thoroughly and, and you, if you do a good job or not. And it doesn't take long for them to notice that either. So that's what we should strive to be doing, no matter, no matter what it is, uh, no matter what our gifts are. Now, one of the problems in this church was that many Christians misunderstood the promise of Christ's return. So in verse 12, we're going to get into that. But what, what's happened here in Thessalonica was that people sold their goods and, and decided they were just going to live off the church and off others in the church because they were convinced that the Lord was going to return imminently. 
So what does that end up doing? Well, that just places a burden on other people. Instead of keeping your business where it should be, focusing on what you should be doing, which we should all be doing, up until the last second, that's the way, of, that's the way it should be. When the Lord calls us, when that trumpet blows, we should be busy doing our own work, helping others, praying for others, just like we're doing right now. These people became like parasites living off other Christians, and for no good reason other than misunderstanding what the promises were. Uh, in Second Thessalonians chapter three and verse eleven, you know, let's turn there. Second Thessalonians chapter three and verse eleven. This kind of addresses the situation here. Okay, Paul says here in verse eleven, "For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread." Again. Take care of your own business. Be responsible. Be a contributor, not a leech. Right? Uh, look at back at verse 10, same chapter. Uh, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would, would not work, neither should he eat. Well, that's, that sounds pretty harsh, right? But you know what? There's something to it. There's definitely something to it. Paul isn't just making a blanket statement there. You know, he knows that everybody, uh, well, well, everybody knows that widows and orphans and such need help. But if there's an able-bodied man who would not work, Paul said, don't feed him. Make him get back to work. Make him take care of his own business. So as we know, and, and, and as we observe in this society, the more you hand out to people, the more dependent they become, the less motivated they get to work for themselves and that's not a good thing that's not a good thing you know back in the day the church took care of the poor you know that was a function of the church not only did they spread the gospel to the poor but they helped them and and they helped them with food they, they helped them with clothing and they helped them with, sh with with shelter if they needed it now the government has taken over that role and just like anything else the government gets involved in it gets messed up now 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 what do we have we have people with no incentive to go out to work. And this is the same thing here. It's, it's not new. It's what Paul was dealing with, with back here in, in, in Thessalonica. That's what happens. People get dependent and they think they deserve more. Then they just look for the handout. You know, they don't want to contribute. Uh, they don't want to do their, their share. They don't want to lift a finger. So Paul here is discouraging that kind of behavior. So um, as we go on here, a believer should walk in hope. A believer should walk in hope. Let's pick it up in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now these are some comforting words, are they not? This is, this is the classic passage on the rapture of the church. 
Some of these people were sorrowing because they didn't understand what would happen to their loved ones who had just died. They had been saved. They were Christian people. They had, they had just died, and the ones who were left behind were concerned. Well, what was going to happen to these folks? Well, here Paul assures them that the dead would be raised first. Then all the saints would be gathered together to meet the Lord Jesus Christ in the air. It's a classic, classic passage on the rapture. Now, it's important, don't confuse the rapture with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? There are two different things. They're about seven years apart. All right? So Paul is reassuring these people with these words. Great, great promises. Great promises. You know, we all sorrow when we lose loved ones. Right? We all do that. But we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. If our loved ones have indeed accepted the Lord and trusted him as their savior, you know, we don't have to be sorrowful. We can rejoice. You know, one of the great burdens in my life is that I have loved ones who aren't saved. You know, and and I'm sure you probably do too. It happens in every family. You know, the burden is there. You know, I I told you when we were when we were praying, you know, I pray for my mom, my sister, my granddaughter. You know, and there are others too. You know, the burden is there, and I, and, I, and I hate to think of them passing away without accepting the Lord. You know, it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing. You know, one of the one of the blessings that I've had was that my dad, for years after I got saved, you know, wouldn't listen. He wouldn't, he wouldn't want to talk to me about the Lord, you know, and he would always tell me, he'd remind me, he goes, Joe, I, I know who you were. So, you know, uh, and I'm not saying that pridefully, and I'm, I'm ashamed of that, that my dad would have that testimony from me. But, um, you know, I rejoiced in the fact that just two days or three days before my dad died, uh, a pastor friend of mine visited him in the hospital, gave him the gospel. And those two or three days before my dad died, my dad accepted Jesus Christ as a savior. And I know now that, that my dad's in heaven and you know something that's, that's an answer to prayer. That's an answer to a burden that I had, you know, um, but, uh, you know, it does happen in every family. And, you know, you really do hate to think of your family passing away without accepting the Lord. It's a very tough thing. It's a very tough thing. But it's something you have to leave in the hands of the Lord sometimes because oftentimes they don't want to hear it. Like my dad, he didn't want to hear it from me for years. You know, they don't want to talk to you about it. It's something we need to leave in the hands of the Lord. We need to do everything we can to set an example by, by working hard, by being honest, uh, showing a good example to them. But if we have loved ones, but if we have loved ones that passed away and they're saved, like I said, my dad, we have great promises concerning them. Great, great promises. Let's look over in John chapter 11. John chapter 11. You know, John chapter 11, this is a good picture of how we as Christians can sorrow. All right. It's the story of Lazarus. Uh, Jesus was deliberately delayed in getting uh, to Lazarus, and uh, and Lazarus died. Let's pick it up in verse 33. John chapter 11, verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and he, and said, Where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Shortest verse in your Bible. Jesus wept. Well, Jesus wept not because he didn't know what was going to happen next. He wept because these folks had loved him so much. And these folks that loved 
that that he loved, that the Lord loved so much, were weeping. And and I think we've done that before. You know, we've gone someplace where somebody was really sorrowing and and hurting over something, and then all of a sudden, you know, we find ourselves shedding some tears because, you know, we're feeling their pain. You know, we may have been there, you know, before, lost a loved one, had lost a child, you know, whatever, uh, whatever it is that you can relate to these folks. And, you know, I remember when a dear friend of mine, uh, a dear member of the church I was part of back in, in New York, went home to be with the Lord. You know, I sat with her and her family in the hospice room with her, and um, and I wept with them as she took her last breath. I wept with them as as I as I preached a portion of her funeral service. You know, um, here Jesus was was relating to Mary and Martha. Jesus wept. He was sad about their sadness and their grief. Then said the Jews, "Behold, how he loved him." And some of them said. Could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? And then, of course, you know, we know how the story ends up. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But the point, but the point is that Jesus himself, Jesus himself shares our own grief and bears our own sorrows. He knows what and he knows how we feel. In times of sorrow, as believers, you know, uh, Paul was making this point to the Thessalonians uh, that, you know, to take comfort that death for the believer is only sleep. Death is only sleep. And we're going to take a short break here for a second. I want to give my voice a little bit of a rest. Um, and then I'll, we'll come right back and we'll pick it up right here in, uh, in verse 14. And we'll be right back. My soul cries out, oh My toiling ends, and you call me home. Since I caught a glimpse of my home in the sky, nothing in this world keeps me satisfied. Is that the lights of home I see? Do I feel a breeze from the crystal sea? Is that my Lord standing high on heaven's balcony? If that's the lights of home, it's a welcome sight to me. Seems I can hear the angels sing with harps of gold and a thousand strings. Earth holds no charm when I hear their song. Sweet Beulah land, my home, sweet home. In that bright city, pearly white city, I have a mansion, a harp and a crown. Now I 
watching, waiting and longing for the white city that's soon coming down. All right, and we are back. We are back, and we're going to pick it up right away in verse 14. So now the sleep uh, in verse 14 is a reference to the physical, is to reference to physical death. All right. And as we said, you know, in times of sorrow, you know, as believers, we take comfort that death for the believer is only sleep. All right. Take your Bibles and turn over to Acts chapter 7 now. Acts chapter 7. And we're going to see that the body sleeps, but the soul does not. Acts chapter 7 and verse 60. Acts chapter 7 and verse 60. And uh, you might know that this is the story of Stephen who read these Jews the riot act, right? And they didn't like that very much, so they got angry. And then what did they end up doing? They stoned him. So, uh, you know, uh, verse 60. Actually, you know what? let's start in verse... How about we start in verse uh, 57? Verse 57. Acts chapter 7, verse 57. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. And cast him out of the city and stoned him, and, and the witness and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. His body fell asleep. Okay, let's go back to First Thessalonians chapter five. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Again, the body sleeps, the soul does not. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 10. Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. So you see, whether we wake or sleep, whether we're alive or dead, whether our bodies are alive or dead, we shall live with him. Uh, Matthew 27. Let's go to Matthew 27 and let's get a little bit more on that. Matthew 27 and verse 50. And this is really a fascinating story. This is a fascinating story. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, this is verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Well, there he is on the cross. And he says, okay, it's time. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent and the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. I mean, that must have been pretty wild, right? Just think about that. That must have been pretty wild. It must have been something to see. The saints which slept, the body of the saints which slept, the soul departs. So maybe we know this story, but let's look over in Genesis chapter 35. Genesis chapter 35. And, uh, you know, we're going to go to verse 18, Genesis chapter 35, verse 18. Uh, it's interesting that Rachel earlier in the book of Genesis declared to God, you know, give me a child or give me death. Uh, you know, if I can't have a child, I'd rather die. So what happens? What happens? She has a child and she dies. Verse 18. And it came to pass as her soul was in departing for she died that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. So the last thing that she did was name Benjamin. And then that's, this is how Rachel died. 
So the point here is that her soul was in departing. The body is what sleeps. Okay, the soul is what departs. Now our hope as believers and, and the hope of those in Thessalonica is laid out over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So why don't you take your Bibles and let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is one of those um, this is one of those if then statements, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 12. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Okay, so here he goes. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Makes sense, right? Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. So Paul is taking this out as far as he can. You know, this thought that they have, this objection. And he goes on, he says, For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But, now he comes back, and he, and he brings it right back around, but... Now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. So he's, he's in no way backing down from what the gospel says. And he's taking them through their logic and uh, he's taking it all the way through and he's bringing it right back to what he's been trying to tell them. Okay, do you follow along? This indeed is the truth. Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead, and therefore the dead will also rise someday. Okay? We also have the comfort of the heavenly reunion. It's going to be a great thing when we get to heaven and we see all those people that have gone on before us. Amen? Now, I think about that more and more as I'm getting older. You know, when I get there, I'm looking forward to seeing so many of my dearest friends. You know, people that mentored me when I was younger, folks that, that we loved and, and uh, you know, it's going to be a great thing to get there. It, it's a promise for us as believers. You know, Paul was relaying that promise to them as well. We'll be together with the Lord forever, with our loved ones forever. And that's a great thing. Don't you think? That's a great thing. Um, we also have the comfort of the eternal blessings, you know, forever with the Lord, forever with the Lord. And that means new bodies, all right? New bodies. Let's look at that one. Philippians chapter 3. Now, I know if you're listening to this and you're young and you think, um, you know, new body, eh, big deal. I kind of like the one I got. Well, you know, as you get older and, and, you know, like around my age or older, it's more like, hmm, hmm, so a new body. That sounds like a pretty good idea to me, <laughs> you know? Um, Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3. And verse number 20. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So there's a lot of power attached to this. A lot of power. And, and, and this is going to be a perfect body. There's not going to be anything wrong with it. You know, you'll be able to look in the mirror and be like, wow, hey, pretty good, right? <laughs> 
Right now, I, I know I don't look in the mirror right now and say that, but you know, but one day I will, and one day you will too. It's going to be a perfect body. It's a blessing, and we'll be eternally thankful for it. All right, turn over to John chapter three. I'm sorry, no, First John chapter three, for a minute. First uh, John chapter three. You know, there's something about the bodies we find ourselves in right now. You know, they're made of dust. They're made of, just made of dust. You know, and like you say at a funeral. You know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and to dust they will return someday, right? First John chapter 3, First John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. By choice, right? By choice. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Now we don't know what it's going to be like, but when we see him, we know we'll be like him. And that's a great promise. Paul says that the body we place in the grave is like a seed awaiting a harvest. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 35. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 35. Okay, Paul's asking a rhetorical question here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 35. But some man will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. So he's, so he's using an analogy of a grain of wheat. Okay? And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain. So we know that uh, when we plant a seed in the ground to grow something, we don't throw a green seed in the ground and expect something to happen. That seed has died, the fruit of that seed. So then you have a good chance, right? A dried kernel of corn, you know, something like that. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial one, the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. So there's quite a big difference between the two. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. So these are describing the new body that we'll be blessed with. Okay, It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body and there's a spiritual body. And he's making sure we understand that there are two bodies here. Okay, A natural one and a spiritual one for each person. And so it is written, the first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. How be it, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. So you see, the natural has to come first, and we know that just by living. The natural comes first, and then the spiritual comes after. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is of the Lord from heaven. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy, and as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. That's a great promise there. It's another great promise. 
Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. So these bodies, they the ones that we have, they would they would not be able to handle if we were transported to heaven. All right, uh, this is one reason that Paul said when he was transported to heaven that it was out of the body, but this body couldn't handle that particular environment. Okay. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Now right there, this verse covers both groups of people that will be participating in the rapture. The people that are alive and remain. Uh, if the Lord came now, that would be us. O death, where is thy sting? Uh, we would not have to go through death. Then the people who are in the grave, who are sleeping, O grave, where is thy victory? Because the grave will release them. They'll come out. So you have both groups of people in that one verse. Do you follow that? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So the shout will be, come up hither. The shout will be, come up hither. Let's go over to Proverbs chapter 25. Proverbs chapter 25. Come up hither. Proverbs chapter 25. And verse, 20, and verse number 7. Proverbs 25 and verse 7. For better, it is to, for better it is that it be said unto thee, Come up hither, than that thou shouldst be put lower in the presence of the prince whom thine eyes have have seen come up hither let's go over to the book of revelation revelation chapter 4 revelation chapter 4 and this of course is the apostle john writing revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 after this i looked and behold a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which i heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me which said come up hither and i will show thee things which must be hereafter and that's a picture of the rapture right there. That's a picture of the rapture. Let's turn over a few pages to uh, chapter 11 of the book of Revelation. Chapter 11. And now this is the story of the, uh, of the two witnesses, Moses and Elijah. After they go through their ministry, uh, after they go through their ministry, they're killed. And three and a half days later, they're resurrected. And it says in verse 12, And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. Again, that, that catching away, that rapturing of folks, that's the phrase, come up hither, come up hither. And that's the phrase that's associated with it. So that leads to the question this morning, will your name be called? Will your name be called? Let's look over in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, and let's look at verse 9. John 10 and verse 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out, and find pasture. The thief cometh, cometh not, but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And that's exactly what he did. Really great promises in First Thessalonians chapter 4. And young Christians, 
as the rest of us can use these things to move forward and they can move them to grow in, and we can use them to grow in our faith and in, in, in our comfort that the Lord cares enough about us to put put this stuff all of this stuff in a marvelous wonderful book and tell us of these great promises which are irrefutable irrefutable promises well folks that's about all the time that we have for today and I just want to say thank you so much for uh, for tuning in and uh, for following along here in first Thessalonians chapter 4 uh, next week we'll continue on with our study and um, just uh, don't forget to check out our website, swordofthespiritpodcast.com. That's swordofthespiritpodcast.com. And uh, when you get onto that website, you know, if you don't mind, just take a look at that uh, support this podcast uh, donate button. Uh, give it a click. And, you know, whatever you can contribute to help us keep this thing going, you know, we would really, really appreciate that. Any questions, any comments, any concerns, any prayer requests uh, on the website, swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Just go to that last page, fill out the contact uh, us form, or you can email me directly at info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. So on behalf of uh, all of us over here, I'd like to say thank you for tuning in. May God bless you, and good day. Happy trails to you Until we meet again Happy trails to you Keep smiling until then Who cares about the clouds if we're together Just sing a song and bring the sunny weather